office manager who uh, always does such a wonderful job with our bulletins and serving, really our church, came to me uh, a little upset with me on Thursday. And she said, um, are you going to make me print this bulletin with a um, misspelling on the front cover? She goes, there's a, there's a misprint on the front cover. I said, Miss Kay, that's kind of the point. It's humor. She said, well, I don't think it's very, very funny to print something that's not spelled accurately. And so the whole idea is that this guy scratching his head didn't measure before he cut. I don't know if you've done that before. I have, um, I've done it. I, am a re- I have the spiritual gift of making scrap piles of wood. Um, we, had, uh, <coughs> we had some flooring we needed to fix. And um, it's, it's this little piece down here, this little corner round, quarter round. And it comes to a corner. And I thought, a corner is 90 degrees, right? So a 45-degree angle will make those to that join be just right, <clears throat> except that there was some kind of little scrolling work that they had done that was a little more fancy than my little 45-degree. It didn't work at all. all I, and, and the other thing that was a problem was you have an angle at that, at that corner, and my back measurement to the back part of the angle was dead on. My front measurement... Uh, it, you, there was not enough wood putty in the world to mix up what I had done. I could have saved myself a lot of heartache if I just would have called David Fickling and said, hey, David, um, let me snap a picture. Tell me what I need to do. Um, someone, someone here who um, will remain uh, nameless, but he has the, first, first last, first, the same first name as me, and his last name sounds like something you sit on in your living room, is uh, having um, Oh! Um, I thought that was anonymous, is in the process of um, redoing parts of their kitchen. And so having custom cabinetry done. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that this is our bulletin cover, measure twice, cut once, because they had their cabinets designed around some specific appliances. And when they went to Lowe's to go pick them up, the appliances were discontinued. So now they had measured everything to fit these appliances. And listen, in their situation, things turned out better because they got better appliances that met the same measurements because they needed to fit. But most of the time, if you're not careful about how you measure before you cut, all you're doing is making scrap. All you're doing is creating a junk pile. And that's not just true when it comes to quarter round or cabinets. I mean, that's true in our spiritual lives too. How do we... um, measure our growth as a Christian. You know, you want to know where most, pe- most people measure it? Most churches measure it too. There's only one measurement that we really use. It's church attendance. Now, let me ask a question. And don't lie, because we're in church. Have you ever come to church with a stinking, rotten attitude? I'm guilty. Scott getting charismatic. He's raising two hands. Um, <laughs> Church attendance is not the best measure of your spiritual maturity, is it? it? It can be a good one. And not being can be a sign of dis-ease, not health. But it doesn't na- necessarily measure transformation. It, it can. Your worship attendance can be a measure of a transformed heart, or it could just be, it's what you do on Sunday morning. There are other important ways to measure our lives against the Scripture to ask, what is it that we really want out of life? 
You hear that Jesus says that he came to give us an abundant life, an overflowing life, and yet you see so little of it in your own life. You go, I, I would love some of that. How do I get it? The challenge today is when we talk about the Christian's calling. Um, when we use the word calling, we, we, we tend to put you know, really focused blinders on and go, calling means a pastor or a missionary. And the truth is, if you are a Christian, you have a calling too. You have a calling to be his son or his daughter. You have a, a calling to be his ambassador. You have a calling to be a missionary. And here's the cool part. You don't have to go to Africa or China to be that. All you might have to do is walk across the street. That might be your mission field. You may not have to go anywhere except your workplace and your environment, but be intentional about it. And when we talk about our calling, I, I think that as Christians, we've generally thought of the calling as what the people on the stage do. And, and trust me, because I've checked this out. There is no spiritual gift of sitting in a pew in the New Testament. It's just not there. You, there's a calling to be as an ambassador. There's a calling to be a sharer of the Great Commission. And most Christians don't know their calling. They know what, they know what everybody else's calling is. They don't know what their calling is. And so today, there's hope for you as we start this process of measuring twice, cutting once, making sure that we are asking the Holy Spirit to do a checkup on our life. What are we doing? How are we growing? How intentional are we being? There's a great message from the the book of Philippians that I think, um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of odd that we're starting this because the Olympics just started, and there's Olympic imagery here from a foot race that is, uh, maybe it needs to be an ice skating race, not a foot race, but um, it kind of goes along here. And so here's the challenge. Christians who understand their calling, they know some things. Four things specifically that we'll look at. Number one, they know what they are not, and they know what they are to be. They know what they are not, and they know what they are to be. Verse 12, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, Not that I have already reached the goal, or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi where there have been false teachers that have come in and said, you know, if you'll just be like us, you'll be perfect. Wouldn't it be true, like if all the world was just like you, it'd be a happier place? That's what they said. And so Paul, who I think if we measured on a scale of Christian maturity, Paul would kind of ding the bell. He'd be at the top of the list. And he starts off with actually kind of a negative comment. He says, no, I've not obtained it. I've not already been made perfect. I'm here's, this is who I am. I I know what I'm not. I've not reached the goal. I've not crossed the line. I've not attained to perfection. And he's dealing here with that that age-old issue of what happens when you place your faith in Christ. Now, this will be a newsflash for some of you, but, but here's what's great. It's a good newsflash. This is not the emergency broadcast system where run for shelter. This is good news. This is good news. I don't, and I don't know who the most unlikely candidate for this would be, so I'm just going to pick on some people randomly and just trust that I love you. David, I'm going to pick on you this morning. That's why I walked up here. Did you know that because David Bennett has put his faith in Christ, he has crossed over from, from death to life, and the Bible would say David is in a new category. He is a saint. Now, Augusta's going, you don't live with him. No. She's going, I know that. I know that. Patrick Murphy. He's a saint. 
That's great news. Philip Quinn is a saint. Henry Grantham is a saint. Now, here's the challenge. Saints still sin, right? Angie's like, yeah, Patrick wasn't paying attention. We're not making eye contact. Angie's like, he still sins, just occasionally. Henry, you still sin? Yep, David, same for you. Man, it just bites. It's still there. But you are a saint. You are not categorically a sinner. You are a saint who sins, not a sinner who's not even in the, the fight. And what Paul is saying here, he goes, listen, I'm a saint, but I've not, I've gotten sainthood in principle, but not in fullness. I still battle with sin. I'm still in the fight. I have attained it in principle, but not in full measure. What he's saying is that <clears throat> he has been changed by the gospel fundamentally, but not totally changed. That comes later when Christ's work is perfected. So he starts with something negative, what he's not. I'm not, I'm not perfect. <clears throat> he moves to something positive, and he says, I, I know what I'm not, but I know what I am to be, and I am going to make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Jesus. I love this statement. I love this statement because Paul here says that he believes in a doctrine of election. Christ has taken hold of him, but he also believes in a doctrine of election that is not without human effort. I press on. I make it my goal to attain this. There is work that God has done. There is work that Paul is called to do. And what he does here is awesome. He balances inspiration, faith, with perspiration, effort. Who's at work in you? God's at work in you. But you know what? You have work to do. Faith works. It does stuff. And so he's balancing this. I I am saved by faith. I know that. But I'm going to perspire to take hold of uh, the prize for which God called me in the first place. I press on because Jesus has called me. And while the trim work in your house, you may be able to fill the holes in with some putty. Doesn't necessarily require your best work. Jesus' work in your life is always worth your best efforts. I don't think there's anyone who's made it to the pearly gates and go, you know, (coughs) read through the Bible every year since I was 14. Man, I wish I could have had that time back to do something else. What a waste. Man, you know, I was pretty regular at church. There's a lot of other things I could have done if you add up all that church attendance in my life. You know, sharing with people, uh, I did more than my fair share because I know the guy next to me didn't do anything, you know, so I, I could have slacked off a little bit. No. There's nothing that you do for Christ that is not worth your best effort. So Christ has laid hold of you for a purpose. You are to perspire in the pursuit of that purpose. What's the purpose? Well, we go to another well-loved passage of Scripture. You know the first verse, but maybe not the second. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. God's Word says this. You all know the first part of this. We know that all things work together. For the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. We know verse 28. What's his purpose? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Guys, that's God's plan. God's plan in calling you is to make you more like Jesus. And here's what's awesome. It's not just something that's done for you. It's something that's done in you and done with you. You get to be a co-laborer with Christ to be a part of conforming yourself to the image of God. 
to make yourself more like Jesus. While our justification will always be by faith, our sanctification will require our effort. If you are the same lousy person you were at the end of 2016, it's because you're not perspiring, you're not working, you're not measuring. And so what do you want? A humdrum Christian life where all you do is go through the motions of showing up for church on Sunday? Or do you want to experience His power and His blessing? Christians who know their calling know what they are not, but they know what they are to be, and that motivates them to work. Number two, Christians who understand their calling know that their calling requires a determined focus. Focus. Now, how many of you have adult ADD? Anybody? Oh, you know, there's always stuff running through the mind, you know? Like, I I tell people, if you come up with a big list of things for me to do on Sunday morning, you better write it down, because I won't remember it. I I mean to, I intend to, so you got a prayer request, that's great. Uh, You're number 53 this morning, you know, please do me a favor, jot it down, write it down so I can put it in my Bible, I will find it, and I will remember. But mine's going 100 miles an hour. And so he says that if we're going to understand our calling, our calling requires us to have focus. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. He begins by saying that focus requires two things, the first of which is forgetting. I'm good at that part. Um, Now, the question is, what do you to forget? He says, you forget the things that came before. So what came before for Paul in this this instance? He's not telling Paul, hey, um, kiddo, I know you grew up in church, memorized all that scripture, went to Sabbath school a bunch, and, you know, went to seminary. He's not saying forget all your Bible knowledge. We're supposed to forget what comes before. Don't forget your Bible knowledge. Don't forget your blessings. That would be ingratitude, right? I mean, after all, the Bible tells us, count your many blessings, name them one by one. We sing it in our song. He's not telling us to forget our ethics. What is, it, what is it that he's telling us to forget? Some scholars, a minority of scholars, think that what Paul is focused on forgetting is his pre-Christian past. If you know anything about Paul, before he became a missionary, he was a murderer. He would lock Christians up. He was a committed Jew, and he saw uh, followers of the way as a um, kind of cult that needed to be cleansed. And so he devoted his effort to traveling around, persecuting Christians. That's not what Paul is talking about here. All respect to those Bible scholars. Paul is talking about making progress in the Christian life. And you know what is the biggest thing that can, keep, that can stumble you up from progress in your Christian life? Past progress. Well, yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. Somebody else's turn. I've served church. Not doing it anymore. Well, you know what? Your past service doesn't count one whit if you're not serving now. Like past obedience doesn't count into the future. You don't get double credit for it. You can't go, you know what? I aced third grade math, so I ain't taking algebra. Doesn't work that way. Whatever you did before is foundational to what comes after. You don't get credit for algebra because you passed multiplication. You have to press on. So he is saying, I am not going to let all of the ways that I've served the church, I've been stoned, almost stoned to death. I've been imprisoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beat up. I've had all kinds of bad things happen to me in serving the church. But I'm not going to let past obedience overshadow the striving that I need to commit to today. And the problem is some of you just got to get over your past. Some of it, the bad stuff, some of you have got to get over the good stuff in your past, like Paul is saying here, because you're going to 
you cannot coast on a bike infinitely. You can catch your breath for a little while and not boo, 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 boo. But you know what? After a while, what happens when you coast? You coast to a, you don't coast to greater speed. You coast to a stop. And then you fall off. You can't coast. He's saying you've got to be focused. Don't allow past attainment to overshadow present obedience. We're in the Olympics right now. Got our first gold medal last night. It was fun. Watched it with my kids. Um, Red? Red? What was his last name? Red Gerard. I'm like, that sounds like an energy drink or something like that. Have you tried Red Gerard? 17-year-old snowboarder and uh, was like 11th and then like vaulted into first place. And it was awesome just to kind of watch his humility. You know, he nailed it. Um, He's not as he's jumping and flipping and twisting and rotating, looking over his back to see who's next. He's focused on nailing it. He's focused on counting. All right, like, I'm dizzy watching him. Like, I don't know. That he, how did he know that was a 720-degree rotation? Does he have, like, an altimeter on him to kind of let him know exactly what's happening? I don't know. It's amazing to watch. But in the Olympics, you have to be focused because if you're so busy watching your competition, you've lost. And it doesn't matter how well you practiced last week, you better run with exertion what you've got to do right now. Because everybody had a good practice last week, and it's a competition go. So he uses this image of a race, and he says that he's going to strain, and he's not going to look back. And every parent in this room, if I ask you who the most famous tow truck is, you know who it is. It's Mater from Cars. Tow Mater. And um, he is known as the world's best, what is it? Backwards driver. He uses that rear view mirror and wiggles those little ones on the side, and he throws it into reverse and all over the place. And that becomes a metaphor for a lot of times how we live our Christian life. Oh, there's obstacles in front of us, but we're not looking because we're remembering what we did in the past and how awesome we used to be. It's kind of like every guy that talks about their middle school or high school sports thing. You know, you were like Heisman Trophy winner, um, Albert Einstein, you know, O.J. Simpson, you know, whoever, all wrapped up in one. You were awesome and you were incredible and like you can't do a sit-up now. You're like, oh, you know, that really paid off well for you. And yet sometimes we are so focused on the past that we're really not prepared for the future because we're driving into the future facing backwards. And just as you would not take your kid who is learning to get their driver's license and teach them to drive backwards on I-77, right? It becomes a metaphor for how we live. We think we're really good because of what has happened like two years ago or depending on how old you are, 10 years ago or 30 years ago. And there's no present striving for obedience. Don't drive backwards. Focus calls for two things. Forgetting, which is mental obliteration and unwavering progress. I'm forgetting what is behind. I press forward to what is ahead. I love the story of Dr. Livingston. Now, the only thing you probably know about Dr. Livingston is the, the famous line, Dr. Livingston, I presume, he was, uh, he was an um, intrepid adventurer and an in, undiscourageable missionary. And so uh, back in the days when, um, you know, Africa was the dark continent, and, and you know, you weren't sure if you were ever going to come back alive when you went there. There was disease, and there were natives, and there was hostility, and it was just, it was the dark continent in more ways than one. 
He, he went boldly, kind of Star Trek-y, where no man had gone before. And so, so much so that they couldn't find him. Like, is he still alive? Where is he? So they sent search parties out, and they sent um, folks, uh, diplomats out to try to find him. And finally, they find a guy in, you know, khaki shorts, white shirt with a little pith helmet, sitting under a tree, and the guy comes to him and says, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Well, he's the only white guy for 100 miles. That was a good guess, you know. Um, Dr. Livingston, I presume. So he goes back to England to do some fundraising for his mission efforts, and you know how it is when you go to church. Everybody wants to talk to you for, everyone's really interested in missions for a, a grand total of about five minutes. Oh yeah, let's hear about it. Let's hear about it. And um, <clears throat> the guy asks him, so uh, Dr. Livingston, what's next? Where are you going? And you know what he said? I don't really care where as long as it is forward. Man, where are the senior adults with that kind of forward-looking faith? I don't care where I go. I just want to go forward. There is new territory for me to focus on, and that's where I'm going. Number three, Christians that understand their calling know that their exertion is only possible because of God's adoption. Their exertion, only possible because God has adopted them. Listen to verse 14. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You have this. He's pursuing. Why is he pursuing? Because Christ has called him. I love this idea of of pressing on. He says, I press on. I'm I'm, I'm pressing on. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm striving for this. I'm, I'm going forward. I'm pursuing as my goal this idea of pursuit. And uh, <clears throat> the best idea to kind of picture in your mind pursuit is uh, to, to, again, go to Africa, to think about that, that cheetah or that leopard or that lion who wakes up, and if they want to eat, they have to exert themselves to catch dinner. They don't just go to like 7-Eleven, you know, get you two hot dogs for a dollar, you know, a uh, big gulp for 79 cents. It's not that simple. They have to work for it in order to get it. And if, if the lion is lazy, if the cheetah's not focused, it's not going to get it. The whole idea of pursuing is for the purpose of overtaking. It's not just, I'm out for a jog, getting my lion exercise in. No, his pursuit is for the purpose of overtaking. And what does he want to overtake? A prize. So what's the prize? I think a lot of American Christians think that the prize is retirement. Don't have a boss anymore, get to do what I want, fish all the time. It's not the prize. Some people think the prize is a houseboat or a house on the lake or I finally get to have a sports car because I don't need kid seats anymore. You know, I've been tricking out that minivan for so long, you know, now I want something that really rumbles. That's not the prize. The prize is not anything that is carnal or worldly or materialistic. The prize is Jesus. He talks about earlier in the chapter that we didn't look at. He wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection, the fellowship of suffering. Wants to know Christ. And so Christ in all of the universe of blessings that he brings is the prize. It's glorious. It's far beyond anything that we typically desire. But here's the deal. Guess who gets the prize? Not the lazy people. Not the undisciplined and unfocused people. The prize is for pursuers only. He says, I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing the prize. You're not going to catch the prize, you know, walking into the kingdom. You've got to chase it. You've got to exert yourself. The prize is for 
pursuers. But we see something awesome here that, again, balances Paul's effort and God's effort. Paul's work and God's work. Paul's hope to hold the prize is only possible because Christ has taken hold of him and called him. Christ has called him. So now, Paul could be memorizing scripture and doing stuff and getting beat up, and unless God has called him, it's all for nothing. It's just made him a moralist. Paul knows that his pressing is empowered by God's prior calling. God has called me. I'm ready to go. His activity is a response. God has called. I'm going to work. So here is the question for you. If we see so clearly this morning how Paul responded to the upward call of Christ Jesus, how have you responded? How have you responded? What do you want to be measured on? Now, we don't like the word measure because it sounds like a test, and at the end of a test, you get a grade, and nobody wants to get a C. Testing sounds blah. But can you avoid testing? I mean, haven't you, perhaps even this week, had your faith tested? The question should be not, do you want or not want testing? The question should be, how well do you want to do on the test? Because the test is going to come whether you want it to or not. As a matter of fact, there might even be a pop quiz, and you don't have to be in school for that to happen. Um, who was it? Uh, uh, flat tires, cars not working. Um, I, I saw the Facebook post this week. Oh my goodness, what's going on? My whole family got flat tires. It happens. There's pop quizzes that happen all the time. So what do you want to be measured on? There are going to be tests that are going to come. You know what some of the tests will be? Some of the tests will be in your relationship. Do you need to have your marriage evaluated to see if it glorifies Christ? Oh yeah, if you've been married for more than 24 hours, you do. Your parenting. Have you ever lost your temper with your kids? Do you need your relationship with your kids to be examined according to the scriptures? Yes, you do. Do you have, do you have or are you a person that when life falls apart, you know who you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning? Like some of you are going, don't call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, call me at 6, you know. Wait, you can have a crisis later. No, no, no. Do you have a 2 a.m. friend? Even more importantly, turn that around. Are you a 2 a.m. friend to anybody? I'm not talking about family. Like, you should be that. If you're not that to your family, you need help. We'll ca- do counseling afterwards. We'll try to resuscitate your family relationships. I'm not talking about family. I'm talking about is there someone that you're not biologically related to that can call you at any time and unburden their soul? Because the Bible says we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, Right? If you want to look more like Jesus, do you think it would be good for you to have accountability related to your Bible intake? Yeah. If we're honest about our Bible intake, um, it's easy to, to read the Bible every day and it just be a check mark. Like you can be five minutes out and not remember a thing that you've read. That's not the kind of Bible intake we're talking about. We're talking about the Bible intake that feeds your soul, transforms your life. Do you need, do you need accountability on prayer? Do you need some accountability on evangelism? Heavens knows we do. And so here's, here's the problem. What you want, what you want, everybody here, what you want, you strive for. Maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's a corner office, maybe it's a better car, maybe it's whatever, early retirement. Everybody strives for something. And the problem that I see is, as I look out at our culture, I only see two things predominantly that our culture strives for, okay? Number one, the first thing that I see our culture strives for is everybody's striving for their rights. Everybody's striving for their rights. We have become a nation of special interest groups. No one can even speak civilly with each other because even if what you have to say is not offensive, somebody's offended. 
And the only sin nowadays is to not be offended at something because everybody is offended. We're a nation of special interest groups that can't even have civil conversations with anyone anymore. So we fight for our rights. And sometimes your rights, your, your rights will be an offense to me and my rights will be an offense to you. And now it's just practically civil war. We fight for our rights. Number two, uh, we fight for recognition. It's not a new thing. American Idol, The Voice, America's Got Talent, they've been out for a long time now. We fight for recognition. It is a dog-eat-dog world where, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to pat you on the back when you lose. Oh, I'm so sorry. But inside I'm going, yes, one more down. I'm closer to the finish line. Praise Jesus. You, you didn't hit that note and, you know, they didn't turn around in the chair for you or America didn't vote for you because you threw up the wrong digits, you know, and the, it was supposed to be a five and you threw up a four. They made the wrong phone call. Everybody fights for recognition. Everybody fights for their rights. Where are the people that are fighting for righteousness? Oh, in the church. Church people fight for righteousness. No, church people just fight. And if you pay attention to the pollsters, there is no way, there is no way that people in the church, life looks different when it comes to their values than people who don't go to church. We, we done messed up, y'all. And it's easy to talk about the church out there. Then we go to metal and we start talking about the church in here. But you have to ask yourself the question. I, I can help measure you, but you are predominantly responsible for you. What are you being measured on? Are you, any, are you even a quarter of an inch closer to Christ than you were last year at this time? If you don't have a plan, guess what? You'll hit the target every time. You don't have a target. Make some goals. We're going to talk about this over the weeks to come. How do we measure and make sure we cut well when it comes to our Christian life? Number four, Christians that understand their calling know that while they are alive, there is new ground to be conquered for Christ. While they are alive, there's new ground to be conquered for Christ. Verses 15 and 16. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. What's this way? Uh, Admitting that they're still sinners, but they're pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, striving forward to what lies ahead. Anyone who is mature will uh, think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. He says a couple things that are interesting. Number one, the mature will agree with me. And here's what's fascinating. Only those who admit their imperfection have reached Christian maturity. That's a really kind of counterintuitive statement. So in order for you to reach maturity, you can't be full of yourself. You have to admit your weakness. You have to admit your imperfection. And that is a baseline requirement for Christian maturity. Number two, what's he saying? There's always room to persevere. There's always room to move forward. There's always new ground to be conquered. Like the bike, you're either moving forward or falling off. He's saying, don't coast, conquer. Don't coast. Move forward. Don't run a race and stop at the nine-tenths of a mile marker and think that you've won anything. Run through the ticker tape. And I love to hear the testimony of people in our church like, like Rob Rainey, who is terminal. Like uh, Jerry Allen, who is battling cancer for the upteenth time, who say, you know, I don't really know why I'm still here. 
but I know that God has a plan for me. I can't tell them what that is. I'm not, I'm not the author, perfecter of their faith. Um, I'm an observer like they are. Perhaps it's just for them to keep running until they break through the ticker tape. Maybe it's just persevering with, with an attitude that says God is good even though my, my body is falling apart. Maybe it's just praising God in the midst of adversity because some of you have something bad that happens and your life falls apart. Well, you're not dying. How can somebody that's in this process of seeing the end of their days praise God when somebody says something snotty to you at work and you fall apart? They set an example for us and they're not coasting, they're conquering, they're not going backwards. And so friends, if you want to make progress with Christ, it requires growth. And growth requires some focused intensity, some, some, some focused uh, power and exertion. It requires perhaps even wading through, wading through, pushing through some suffering. It will be personal and it will be costly. But alongside the Apostle Paul, I can tell you it will be worth it. There is no one who has followed Christ even to the expense of their own life that has not said every sacrifice I made was far too small. If I had a thousand lives to live over again, I would give every single one of them to the Lord. Real progress, my friends, is conformity to Christ, not perfect attendance pins. Real progress is looking more like Jesus this year than you did last year. The question really comes down to, what is it that you want? Another humdrum year or a sweeter walk with thee? Pray with me, please. Father, I pray that you help us to repent <coughs> of our own laziness. We have uh, substituted the glory of your gospel for man-made plans. We have pursued upward mobility more than we have pursued righteousness. We have asked you to bless our plans instead of asking you to reveal your plans to us. We have assumed sovereignty over our lives and robbed you of the glory that only your name is worthy of. So Father, we began this worship service singing about how worthy you are. Help us in how we respond to this message to not be liars. Help us to understand what it means to commit our lives to Christ. There may be some here that don't know really what it means to be a Christian. It may just be an issue of habit and not an issue of personal vitality. I pray that if there are those here that need to understand what it means to turn from their rebellion and to turn to Christ, that you will give them new life in your name. For those of us that know you, that you will help us to understand that until the day we die, there is no retirement from our Christian calling. You have called us and you have empowered us. Now we must run the race that is set before us. Father, I don't pray that simply for myself or simply for individuals here because God, you have put us in your body, the church, because we need each other. So together, help us to pursue righteousness for your worthy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.